Chapter Seventy of the House by the Churchyard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The House by the Churchyard, by Joseph Sheraton Lefanu. Chapter Seventy, in which an unexpected visitor is seen in the cedar parlor of the tiled house and the story of mr beauclerk and the flower de luce begins to be unfolded it was an awful night indeed on which all this occurred and that apparition had shown itself up at the mills and truly it would seem the devil had business on his hands for in the cedar parlor of the tiled house another unexpected manifestation occurred just about the same hour what gentleman is there of broken fortunes undefined rights and in search of evidence without a legal adviser of some sort mr mervyn of course had his and paid for the luxury according to custom and every now and then off went a dispatch from the tiled house to the oracular london attorney sometimes it was a budget of evidence and sometimes only a string of queries Tonight, to the awful diapason of the storm he was penning one of these the fruit of a tedious study of many papers and letters tied up in bundles by his desk all of them redolent of ominous or fearful associations i don't know why it is the hours fly with such a strange celerity in the monotony and solitude of such night work but mervyn was surprised as many a one similarly occupied has been on looking at his watch to find that it was now long past midnight so he threw himself back in his chair with a sigh and thought how vainly his life was speeding away and heard with a sort of wonder how mad was the roar of the storm without while he had quietly penned his long rescript undisturbed the wild bursts of supernatural fury and agony which swell and mingle in a hurricane i dare say led his imagination a strange aerial journey through the dark now it was the baying of hell-hounds and the long shriek of the spirit that flies before them anon it was the bellowing thunder of an ocean and the myriad voices of shipwreck and the old house quivering from base to cornice under the strain and then there would come a pause like a gasp and the tempest once more rolled up and the same mad hubbub shook and clamoured at the windows so he let his pegasus spread his pinions on the blast and mingled with the wild rout that peopled the darkness or in plainer words he abandoned his fancy to the haunted associations of the hour the storm and the house with a not unpleasant horror in one of these momentary lulls of the wind there came a sharp distinct knocking on the window-pane he remembered with a thrill the old story of the supernatural hand which had troubled that house and began its pranks at this very window ay ay twas the impatient rapping of a knuckle on the glass quite indisputably it is all very well weaving the sort of dream or poem with which mervyn was half amusing and half awing himself but the sensation is quite different when a questionable sound or sight 
comes uninvited to take the matter out of the province of our fancy and the control of our will mervyn found himself on his legs and listening in a less comfortable sort of horror with his gaze fixed in the direction of that small sharp knocking but the storm was up again and drowning every other sound in its fury if mr mervyn had been sufficiently frightened he would have forthwith made good his retreat to his bedroom or if he had not been frightened at all he would have kept his seat and allowed his fancies to return to their old channel but in fact he took a light in his hand and opened a bit of the window-shutter the snow however was spread over the panes in a white sliding curtain that returned the light of his candle and hid all without twas idle trying to peer through it but as he did the palm of a hand was suddenly applied to the glass on the outside and began briskly to rub off the snow as if to open a peephole for distinct inspection it was to be more this time than the apparition of a hand a human face was immediately presented close to the glass not that of nutter either no it was the face of irons pale with glittering eyes and blue chin and wet hair quivering against the glass in the storm he nodded wildly to mervyn brushing away the snow beckoning towards the back door as he supported himself on one knee on the window-stone and with his lips close to the glass cried let me in but in the uproar of the storm it was by his gestures imperfectly as they were seen rather than by his words that mervyn comprehended his meaning down went mr mervyn without a moment's hesitation leaving the candle standing on the passage table drew the bolts opened the door and in rushed irons in a furious gust his cloak whirling about his head amidst a bitter eddying of snow and a distant clapping of doors throughout the house the door secured again mr irons stood in his beflaked and dripping mantle storm-tossed dishevelled and alone once again in the shelter of the tiled house to explain the motive of his visit irons i could hardly believe it and mervyn made a pause and then filled with the one idea he vehemently demanded in heaven's name have you come to tell me all you know well maybe no answered the clerk i don't know i'll tell you something i'm going you see and i came here on my way and i'll tell you more than last time but not all not all yet going and where what are your plans plans i have no plans where am i going nowhere anywhere i'm going away that's all you're leaving this place eh to return no more i'm leaving it to-night i've the doctor's leave parson walsingham what do you look at sir do you think it's what i murdered anyone not but if i stayed here i might though and mr irons laughed a frightened half maniacal sort of laugh i'm going for a bit a fortnight or so maybe till things get quiet lead us not into temptation to mullingar or anywhere only i won't stay longer at hell's door 
within stretch of that devil's long arm come to the parlor said mervyn perceiving that irons was chilled and shivering there with the door and window shutters closed a pair of candles on the table and a couple of faggots on that pleasant bog wood which blazes so readily and fragrantly on the hearth irons shook off his cloak and stood lank and grim and as it seemed to mervyn horribly scared but well in view and trying sullenly to collect his thoughts i'm going away i tell you for a little while but i'm come to see you sir to think what i may tell you now and above all to warn you again saying to any living soul one word of what passed between us when i last was here you've kept your word honourable as yet if you break it i'll not return and he clenched it with an oath i daren't return i'll tell you the way it happened he resumed tis a good while now a twenty-two years your noble father's dead these twenty-two years and upwards twas a bad murder sir they were both bad murders i look on it he's a murdered man he who demanded the young man your father sir my father murdered said mervyn well i see no great differ i see none at all i'll tell you how it was and he looked over his shoulder again and into the corners of the room and then mr irons began i believe sir there's no devil like a vicious young man with a hard heart and cool courage in want of money of all the men i ever met with or heard tell of charles archer was the most dreadful i used sometimes to think he was the devil it wasn't long-headed or cunning he was but he knew your thoughts before you half knew them yourself he knew what every one was thinking of he made up his mind at a glance and struck like a thunderbolt as for pity or fear he did not know what they were and his cunning was so deep and sure there was no catching him he came down to the pied horse inn where i was a drawer at newmarket twice mervyn looked in his face quickly with a ghastly kind of a start eh sir of course you know it you read the trial of course you did well he came down there twice twas a good old house sir lots of room and a well accustomed inn and i think there was but two bad men among all the servants of the house myself and glasscock he was an under hostler and a bad boy he chose us two out of the whole lot with a look he never made a mistake he knew us some way like a crow knows carrion and he used us cleverly and irons cursed him he's a hard master like his own said irons his wages came to nothing and his services is hell itself he could sing and talk and drink and keep things stirring and the gentlemen liked him and he was twas said a wonderful fine player at whist and piquet and ombre and all sorts of card playing so you see he could afford to play fair the first time he came down he fought three duels 
about a tipsy quarrel over a pool of pope joan there was no slur on his credit though twas just a bit of temper he wounded all three two but trifling but one of them chapley or capley i think was his name through the lungs and he died i heard abroad i saw him killed twasn't the last it was done while you'd count ten mr archer came up with a sort of a sneer pale and angry and twas a clash of the small swords one two three and a spring like a tiger and all over he was frightful strong ten times as strong as he looked all a deception well sir there was a jew came down offering wagers not you see to gentlemen sir but to poor fellows and mr archer put me and glasscock up to bite him as he said and he told us to back strawberry and we did we had that opinion of his judgment and his knowledge you see we thought he had ways of finding out these things that we had no doubt of winning so we made a wager of twelve pounds but we had no money not a crown between us and we must stake gold with a host of the plume of feathers and the long and the short of it was i never could tell how he put it into our heads to pledge some of the silver spoons and a gold chain of the masters intending to take them out when we won the money well strawberry lost and we were left in the lurch so we told mr archer how it was for he was an off-handed man when he had anything in view and he told us as we thought he'd help us if we lost help you says he with a sort of laugh he had i want help myself i haven't a guinea and i'm afraid you'll be hanged and then says he stay a bit and i'll find a way i think he was in a bad plight just then himself he was awful expensive with horses and and other things and i think there was a writ or maybe more out against him from other places and he wanted a lump of money in his hand to levant with and go abroad well listen and don't be starting or making a row sir and a sulky lowering hangdog shadow came over irons your father lord de noran played cards his partner was mr charles archer wished it was with a gentleman of the name of beauclerk and i forget the other he wore a chocolate suit and a black wig twas i carried them their wine well mr beauclerk won and mr archer stopped playing for he had lost enough and the gentleman in the chocolate what was his name edwards i think a twas yes edwards it was was tired and turned himself about to the fire and took a pipe of tobacco and my lord your father played piquet with mr beauclerk and he lost a power of money to him sir and by bad luck he paid a great part of it as they played in rouleaus of gold for he had won at the dice downstairs well mr beauclerk was a little hearty and he grew tired and was for going to bed but my lord was angry and being disguised with liquor too he would not let him go 
till they played more and play they did and the luck still went the same way and my lord grew fierce over it and cursed and drank and that did not mend his luck you may be sure and at last mr beauclerk swears he'd play no more and both kept talking together and neither heard well what t'other said but there was some talk about settling the dispute in the morning well sir in goes mr beauclerk staggering his room was the flower de luce and down he throws himself clothes and all on his bed and then my lord turned on mr edwards i'm sure that was his name and persuades him to play at piquette and to it they went as i was coming in with more wine i meets mr archer coming out give them their wine says he in a whisper and follow me and so i did you know something of glasscock and have a fast hold of him says he and tell him quietly to bring up mr beauclerk's boots and come back along with him and bring me a small glass of rum and back he goes into the room where the two were stuck in their cards and talking and thinking of nothing else end of chapter seventy recording by john brandon